Hi Alex, it's so lovely to see you. A picture of vibrant health today here in Sydney. Welcome home. Thank you. The last time I saw you was in Monaco at your welcome party and you definitely didn't look like this. You look so battered and my heart went out to you when I seen all the ice packs on your legs and then I thought, oh my God, how is he going to cope because you had to then put on a brave face with all the weight in media, His Serene Highness, Prince Albert, and lots of dignitaries, the Commodore of the Yacht Club. My heart was like sending you Reiki and love and hoping, put you in a big bubble, trying to lift your vibrations so you could get through it. What were your thoughts and feelings? Look, you must have done a pretty good job because I felt ecstatic arriving into Monaco. That was probably one of the biggest tipping points of our trip because we were held up due to the conditions. Day four was the biggest day that we had out in the water, which was just under 11 hours water skiing. And getting into Monaco, I think, was the tipping point for us and it was the highlight of the trip because we didn't think we were going to make it. We were originally scheduled at 10 a.m. in the morning to arrive into Monaco based on the forecasted conditions. And waking up that morning, we didn't know what was going to happen. Our morale was extremely low because we didn't think it was going to even be possible to get to the finish line based on what we'd have to endure, even just to get to Barcelona on the night of day three. So arriving into Monaco was mixed emotions. Uh, it was probably by far the highlight of the trip, even more than crossing the finish line because we didn't think we were going to be able to do it. Uh, and having all those people there lifted my spirit. Uh, being able to meet HCH Prince Albert was a phenomenal experience and I don't think I'll ever be able to replicate anything like that pulling into Monaco Harbour after that day. It was, it was epic to say the least. And I was so jacked up on adrenaline that it wasn't until I got home and attempted to eat did I actually realise how fatigued and how sore I was. Uh, that night I woke up hot and cold sweats uh, my appetite had completely depleted, my body went into shock. So popping champagne and the whole Sabre experience with the Commodore and drinking that champagne, I, I, I was on another planet to be honest. There was all the emotions, all the adrenaline, the fatigue, and just being in such a surreal environment as well. It was, it's, yeah, it's a very, very unforgettable moment for all of us. And it was an incredible moment. However, your body was obviously so battered, but obviously your mind had overcome that. And throughout your journey, how did you overcome down days? Because obviously lots of us um, plan a project and you must have had moments thinking, is this really achievable? Yeah, absolutely. There was quite a few moments and especially on day two of the trip, when we arrived into our first stop of the day, which were originally forecasted to be finished for the day at two o'clock in the afternoon. And we pulled into our first stop for the day at 2.30 in the afternoon. So our time had been completely doubled. We we're expecting to be out in the ski for a few hours for the first leg. It got blown out to six and a half hours. Uh, we pulled into a stop just outside of Spain at Alicante before we got onto Valencia and we realized how are we going to continue pushing on in these conditions? Like my body was getting an absolute belting in the rough water. We had an engine change that needed to take place with Mercury as well because we had prototype engines on the boat and we had so many moving parts and I literally had to sit down with the team and I was facing defeat right down the barrel. And it's interesting because 
when you wake up every day for seven years telling yourself what you're going to do, the mind becomes an amazing, amazing source of power to be able to push aside all the other emotions, to push aside the pain, to seek clarity in terms of what's about to take place and having a really good team around me helped rally to be able to sit down and look at the conditions, assess my body, figure out what we needed to do, make sure that we did everything right for myself in terms of getting across that finish line. No matter what, we had to get across that finish line. But we also had partners that we needed to make sure that we were keeping in the loop and adhering to with sponsorship, with events in Monaco. There were so many moving parts. But one thing that we all rallied up and made sure that we sat down and said to each other every single day, no matter what, we make sure we cross the finish line. And that was one thing that when you do wake up every morning for that long, telling yourself what you're gonna do, the rest makes it very, very, very easy. And it is literally a mind over matter experience. Yeah, it's so empowering. And obviously you mentioned team, even though it's an individual achievement to ski that marathon, you had a great team around you. How did that fall into place? Look, without my team, I would never have been able to cross the finish line. And, and the way I see it, it's very fitting that they got to cross it first. Because without them, there's no way. You can't water ski alone. I've tried to figure out how, but it's unfortunately mm. impossible. So the team, the team really it, it merged. When you look at it over the seven-year project, it literally was a last-minute team. In the last six months, we actually narrowed down our team. So starting the journey was a very emotional, family-driven, wanting to do it with people close to me. And I invited two of my close mates at the time to form part of our team, one to drive, one to observe. And it was probably one of the biggest mistakes I'd made because we were the most inexperienced team to ever hit the water. I'd never skied before. One of my mates at the time had never driven a boat before. The observer, we didn't know anything about water skiing. So when we look back at the actual people that were there for the trip, we had the best of the best you could possibly think of. Uh, Shane Wilson, who drove for me, he's grown up in the ski racing community here in Australia. He's quite senior at the Boating Industry Association. He's skippers boats, he's driven boats, he's driven at world title ski racing events, observed. He's done everything you could possibly imagine in the ski racing realm. And it wasn't until just about six months out before we took off for our trip did he ask if I needed some additional help and if he wanted to take me out for a couple of training runs in Sydney Harbour, he'd be there for it. The first time he took me out in Sydney Harbour, I was just amazed at how skillful he was putting my boat, which is a 19-foot race boat, around Sydney Harbour. And straight away I went, this is our guy. I just knew straight away. Okay. Uh, my sister who observed for me probably was very challenging from a whole raft of different reasons having one of your siblings observe for you because she had to endure all the pain that I did. So when she saw me struggling, she struggled. With that emotional connection that we both had, it was really tough on her because she rode every single way that I did. But at the same time, I couldn't ask for a better observer because she never took her eyes off me the entire time that she was on the back of the boat as well. So that was really helpful. We then had Jake Kerr, who was one of my skiing partners. And one thing that's really, really fascinating with this project is all different people have come in at the right times for the right reasons. And Jake I met, who was someone that wanted to get into ski racing for a very, very long time. He's been a family friend of my wife's 
uh, since they all grew up in the same neighborhood together and we ended up in the Horsby River up at a place called Pacific Park that we now share uh, a place up there that we ski out of as well and he became my skiing buddy and we learned to water ski race together he'd been water skiing since he was quite young and that's how we started to train by ski racing learning the sport and then obviously becoming part of the ski racing family within Australia as well. So having Jake out there as well, he was an all-rounder. He was a backup driver. He was a backup observer. He joined me for a couple of shorter legs as well and came out and water skied for me. Just a really young, clever, switched on, kept everybody focused, had great ideas to figure out how do we get through some of the challenges that we went through. And he was just the best wingman you could possibly imagine. I then had my wife, Belinda, who effectively was the glue of the entire team. So she was actually pregnant with our son Cruz at the time. So they actually racked up more kilometers in the van than what we did out in the water. They were phenomenal, our road crew and our support team. And unfortunately with Belinda being pregnant, we couldn't have her out in the boat because it was just too rough. I didn't want to have her out there and have any form of risk for Cruz. So she had everything going. She was liaising with all of our major partners, our sponsors, uh, because of the conditions, our recon trip, we visited every single marina two years before we did the trip to make sure we knew where we could pull into, where we could fuel, looked at hotels to be able to stay out. Because of the conditions, we weren't arriving into our intended destinations on five out of the 10 days. We had empty hotel rooms, we had empty berths at marinas. So Bindi, not even knowing where we were gonna end up that day, had to keep in contact with the ground crew to try and figure out or where we're we gonna sleep, where are we even gonna rock up? And she'd contact Shane, the driver, where do you think you're going to end up? I don't know, we'll let you know in five or six hours. So the coordinating that she had to do with everybody on the ground was immense and all the media and the social posts, that her being her background as well in communications and PR was phenomenal. We then had my sister's partner, Nick. He drove the van and he was pretty much everywhere where we needed to be. He was there ready to go and just a phenomenal attitude as well. And as I said, they did more kilometers on the road than what we did. They had to drive through the night to get to Monaco, leaving Barcelona. And without that support, we would have never been able to do what we did to rally up and get the team everywhere we needed to be from the marina back to the hotel, from the hotel back to the marina every morning. We then had Dan, who was our photographer, Dan Goss Images, phenomenal photographer. Uh, I've known him since I was a teenager as well. So he came out and you may have seen some of the still images that he captured, which just beautiful. He embraced the project so well, came over and probably was the person that was able to say a few words and it would always end up in a joke because he's such a character and would always have the team laughing. But other than that, he was such a good person to be able to capture the images in the way that he did. And we also had Mobsy, who was a cinematographer who was out there and to be honest, after chatting with people in the film industry, after we've come back and shifting through all the footage that we've got, what, what he did out there as a solo operator to be able to capture all the footage that he did, having to get back to the hotel each night and back it all up and dump it on the hard drives and it was just phenomenal what he achieved out there as well. So without that team, that core team that we had, we would have never have been able to pull off what we did. So yeah, without them, we wouldn't have got across the finish line. Yeah, we could feel the energy of the team and everybody was so friendly and you could see them gelling together. So you talked about you've been doing this for seven years before. What self-talk did you go through or did you see any psychologists or have nutritionists like any special health experts to get you through as well? Yeah, so I, I didn't see any psychologist. 
I first did a 25-hour boot camp, which was called The Longest Day, and that was pretty much the first thing that I wanted to do is go, okay, well, how tough am I? How mentally tough am I? What better way to be able to do it than do a paramilitary boot camp for 25 hours straight and see how I pulled up? And I, I got through it reasonably comfortable, and after that, I knew, okay, well, I'm mentally tough enough for it and I felt very good physically from that perspective so then it was trying to figure out okay what do we do from a nutritionist perspective so I actually had the Noakes Foundation that I had a chat with Professor Noakes and he was the one that put together a very strict specific diet which was effectively a banting high fat low carbohydrate diet for me to be able to get into ketosis 12 months out of the trip and that was what I thought was going to be the right fit for me I watched a documentary, Serial Killers, and in that, you may have seen it, if you haven't, there's a couple that row across the Atlantic from the US over to Hawaii, and they were out there rowing for 10 to 12 hours per day, and they were on a similar diet that Professor Noakes had put together for them. And what was fascinating was they didn't lose any weight whatsoever, and they were able to endure huge days out there on the water. And I thought, bang, that's right up my alley, so I reached out, they saw the trip, were very excited to be a part of it and put together a tailored diet specifically for what my trip was going to be. And we did a lot of testing and I was sending back results in terms of all my calorie intake, my long training runs that we were doing. I was pumping all that data back to them based out of South Africa, doing Skype calls, chatting with Professor Noakes. They then gave me all that information back. So that was my nutrition side of things. And I'll come back to how that changed during the trip. I also engaged with Craig Burton, who is one of Australia's leading ski racing coaches who has been doing it for the past 20 years. And Craig was the type of trainer that you would get butterflies and feel nervous when you were driving to the gym to go and train with him because you never know what you were going to expect. And he would literally push you to the point where if you didn't throw up, you hadn't thought that you trained hard enough. Wow. So he was phenomenal at preparing my body. He does a lot of training for a lot of the ski racers who do really high speed on, on smooth water, whereas this was quite different because we were going to be in rough water and not as high speed. So he specifically trained and put a very, very good program together for me. So that was the coaching and the physical strength side of things. And then I did see a kinesiologist a handful of times before I went over, and that was purely from my sister-in-law who had seen one before and said you know what be open-minded go and check it out and you'll never know how you feel and to be honest I was able to wash away a lot of things that I'd been holding on to in the past from a, a broken family upbringing uh, having a stepfather who probably wasn't the most encouraging or the best role model to have growing up and losing my father at a young age as well so there's a lot of things that I was holding on to that I didn't really realize that I was so having all of that get washed away and, and her to be able to put me in a great mindset heading into the trip definitely helped. So those are probably the three key people that I saw in terms of the body uh, and I suppose the mind, having a goal and wanting to go after something as, in, as powerful as a family member's legacy that they left behind, to be honest, I, I didn't feel like I needed anything more than those key things and those key functions. Great, because you mentioned South Africa. I read that you were born in Africa. Do you want to tell the listeners something about your background which led to your epic event today? Yeah, of course. So my grandparents were raised and, and born in Australia. 
and after my grandfather started to learn to water ski at a very late age, he heard about a race which was called the Pula Tachervia, which was an Italian ski race that started in the late 60s and they'd all travel across the Adriatic and they'd jump in off the coast of Yugoslavia, which is now Croatia, and they'd race back into Pula and Tachervia. And when my grandfather heard about this, he decided to go over there and have a crack and race against the Italians because he was bit over water skiing here on the Hawks River in the flat water. So by him going over to Italy to race, he broke the world record, set a world record for the longest marathon in skiing and also broke the record for the fastest pull at a Cervia crossing. My mum was 13 at the time and she went over to Italy with my grandparents and when my grandparents had finished their water skiing exploits, they ended up parting ways and my grandfather went on to Singapore and my grandmother came back to Australia and my mum actually stayed in Italy. So she ended up nannying for an Italian family uh, called the Biagiotti's, which is in a little town called Ravenna, which is not far from Cervia, which is the finish line where the Pula de Cervia used to be and where we finished as well. So my mum started nannying for the Italian family, the Biagiotti's, from an age of 13 and she effectively grew up in her entire teenage years in Italy. She became fluent Italian. She then met my father, who was a Greek, and he was working for a company called Hughes Christensen, which is a very well-known oil company. So my sister, who is 14 months older than me, was born in Ravenna. We then, mum and my real father and my sister traveled to Gabon, which is on the west coast of Africa, right next to the Congo. And that's where my father was stationed because there was oil rigs off the coast there. So I was born in Gabon and spent my first two and a half years there. We then traveled back to Italy with the Biagiotti's. I stayed for another two and a half years until I was about four and a half. Uh, at this point, my grandfather Harry was in Singapore. So we went to Singapore when I was about five and then spent six months there and then came to Australia for me the first time along with my sister, but for my mum, returning back home when I was about six years of age. And from there, my mum and Greek father split up. Shortly after that, my mum then met a Kiwi who effectively became my stepdad and raised me for many years up until my early 20s. So that's wow. where I have basically started and all those mixing pots of different nationalities of a Australian, Greek heritage, born in Africa with a very strong Italian upbringing and then raised by a Kiwi here in Australia and this is the result. And obviously you were at your mum's one day and seen a scrapbook and you seen faded pictures of your grandfather, you know, the world champion and you were intrigued and what was your feelings then? So the scrapbook, it's interesting because I knew of my grandfather's exploits from very, very few stories that my mother had shared with me over the years. And she gave me this old scrapbook and I knew it had information about my grandfather in there, but I didn't know to what level and what detail. And as I was approaching 30, which is now eight years ago, I was at my house one night, my sister was over and I thought, oh, why don't we pull out the scrapbook and have a look at it? Anyway, pulled out this big old massive scrapbook and dusted off the top of it. And I started flicking through it and going through all these newspaper articles getting a better understanding of what my grandfather had actually achieved and also trying to figure out, well, what, why has he kept all of this? What, what's the purpose of holding on to all these stories and all these 
newspaper clippings, telegrams, pennants, photos. And as I started to flick through it, I started to learn a little bit more about him as an athlete and what he achieved. And then when I came across his record, I was pretty gobsmacked at the distance that he'd water skied and how much it meant to him. And then I kind of looked at my sister and you know, I was like, this, this is an amazing story. I can't believe this is in our family. I can't believe our grandfather actually did this. And at that point, I was trying to figure out within myself, well, what have I achieved? You know, I had a pretty rocky upbringing, I suppose you could say, being a teenager and being out on the street, in and out of foster homes, getting into plenty of mischief. And it wasn't a while until I got my act together and started to become a different person than what I potentially could have ended up being like some of my other friends that went a different path. So at that point I was like, well, we've got this amazing family story. Why would we want to let this literally sit on the shelf gathering cobwebs? And at that point I felt like I needed to challenge myself as well. So at that point I turned to my sister, I'm like, we need to do this. Like, I, I want to do this. I feel like this is what needs to be done. Why is this left behind? It was almost like a legacy sitting on the shelf there, ready to pick up, and my grandfather always wanted a son. So it was literally at that point, I can't remember what time it was in the morning, that my sister and I were there, and we basically I decided to have a crack. I don't think my sister really thought or took much notice of it at that point, but over the coming months, it's when I started to really fixate on it and do more research, and it was then that I decided that, I was going to have a crack at it. Wow, and it's amazing that your sister was with you at that time and then you went ahead. And what uh, steps were in process after that? Because obviously you'd never been on a set of skis. Were you a sporty person? What? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Loved my sport and, and obviously still do. Did so many different sports growing up as a kid. And I, I now do talk to mum and said, mum, why didn't you just focus on one? You know what I mean? I reckon I would have been amazing at anything. But looking back at it, I always loved sports. So I played soccer, did swimming, did rugby, skateboarded, surf, bodyboarded, like you name it. Oh, growing up as a kid, I did them all and I was pretty, pretty good at them all. I suppose you could call it reasonably natural in a lot of ways. And the, move, the, the moving parts, one thing I didn't want to do was just rush into it. Obviously it was such a big project. So knowing that I had reasonable fitness skills, in the back of my mind I'm like, okay, I think the water skiing part will come relatively easily. It's more about how to map it all out. And it was actually Marcus, my cinematographer, nicknamed Mobsy. I bumped into him on New Year's Eve and it was only a few months after I decided what I was gonna do. And he asked me, what are you doing next year? What's the big plans? And I said, I'm gonna contest my grandfather's world record water skiing around the Mediterranean. And he just looked at me and laughed. As you've never water skied before, have you? And I said, no. And he goes, <laughs> uh, I wasn't quite too sure how to go about it. Anyway, he rang me a few days later and he said, mate, bring your scrapbook along. I want, I want you to meet somebody. So you know, I got my big scrapbook and I was living in Utrecht at the time, lugged it up to the Oaks and I sat down and he introduced me to Alan Hogan, who's a Walkley Awards judge. He's done amazing work with Dateline SBS, a great producer. And he got me to tell Al my story about what I did and how I got the scrapbook and started flicking it along and pushed it back across to me and he said, Alex, I don't know whether or not you classify yourself as a filmmaker and you probably don't, but this is a story that you have to share. And it was at that point where I thought, okay, how do we go about this and do it properly? So we then realized, well, why don't we start taking some footage and documenting this? 
So the way that I wanted to try and do it was to go and find an old Pride Fury ski boat, which was the boat that Harry did the trip on, which was a 1968 Pride Fury. I also then wanted to track down Ray Goodwin, who was the driver of Miss Pepsi for my grandfather's trip in 1970. And I wanted to learn to ski for the very first time behind a Pride Fury and on an old wooden Mustang Ron Marks water ski as well. That was just, that's it. And to be honest, we were originally going to do it behind a Pride Fury and rebuild it and try and replicate it to what Harry did. But as time went on, that changed and for all the right reasons. So that was the process I wanted to go through. Find the boat, get in front of Ray, have this build up, start training, prepare myself for that water ski for the very first time. And that was the process that we went through. So we documented quite a lot of stuff and there was probably two years that I'd been working on the project before I even got on the water ski for the very first time. Wow. And what was it like your first time up on the water ski? It was, it took me three attempts to get up. So I wasn't a complete natural at it, but I did start on a single ski straight away and I figured out the right way after a few attempts. And it was probably one of the most fulfilling and satisfying feelings, to be honest, because I was worried that, imagine I was not a natural on it and <laughs> I couldn't get up, then we'd be in a lot of trouble after going to the amount of effort that we'd been to at that point. So the first ski was amazing. You know, I, I yelled out to Harry up on the, on the river. My mum was there, my sister was there, my wife there, who wasn't my wife at the time. You know, I had my two best mates at the time that was there with me as well. Uh, and Mobsy, Dan, who was the yeah. photographer, was there to shoot it. And my brother-in-law was on his boat as a support boat. And, you know, it was, it was a phenomenal experience. And being able to be at Cliftonville on the Hawks River where my grandfather used to ski, it was pretty special. Uh, it was special, it was satisfying, but then it was, okay, we've got some serious work ahead of us now. And from there, obviously, the project just grew and grew and grew. And I had to spend as much time as I could out there water skiing. I ended up getting a more modern boat. We ended up transitioning from my old wooden Mustang water ski, which is hanging up in my office in the next room. And we used modern day technology to help us progress because trying to do it with the old stuff that my granddad did it in was just, it wasn't going to work. And when you were, you said you called out to your grandfather on the Hawkesbury River. I know he celebrated a birthday recently and you called out to him. How did you feel when you were actually in Italy? Because that was so special, one that you spent some time growing up there, but you always mention that your grandfather loved Italy and oh, of what course. was it like? And look, the project being called Chasing Kanguru, yeah. Kanguru translates to kangaroo in Italian and that's what they used to call him, Mighty Kanguru, because he was just this freak phenomenal athlete and so strong and fast and fit and it made sense that that's what they nicknamed him over there. So look, it was really emotional. As soon as we arrived uh, onto the Italian coastline, it was like, poof, we knew he was there. And that's when we put the Australian flag up on top of the boat and it was, it was different arriving into Italy. It was, it was very warming. Uh, it was emotional, but it was also very inspiring. It was a, a, a bunch of Italian ski racing legends, which are based uh, on Lake Como in a little town called Letzano. And these guys, I met them 
the year that we did the recon a few years ago and we went to Stefano Gregorgio who's also known as The Machine, he's an ex-Italian ski racing legend. He's got a beautiful place up there and you can wakeboard, you can water ski, lovely restaurant, beautiful villa that you can stay in there. And I sat down with all these Italian ski racing legends over this lunch and they're all talking Italian and I've lost all my Italian since I came to Australia so I could pick up little bits and pieces here and there but basically they were all shaking their heads saying no, no way, there's no way you can do that. No, 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 it's, it's, it's impossible, impossible. So when we hit the Italian coastline, it was even more so just not for Harry, but also to prove all them wrong that this is doable. My granddad did it and we'll be able to do it as well. So we had so much more motivation for so many different reasons when we hit Italy. So it was pretty special. I can imagine. And recently I caught up with Hadrian Burelli, the Monaco ambassador for Australia. And uh, he mentioned that you were back there with your son this June for the anniversary of the date that you arrived there and that you're doing some amazing things. Yeah, so we celebrated the one year anniversary and we had a lovely time visiting Prince Albert as well, which was a very, very special moment and very humbling being able to see him again for the one year anniversary. Uh, we also went back to Chervia, which was our finished line, where we went with the local mayor as well, and we had a lovely ceremony with them as well to celebrate the one-year anniversary. And since we've come home, we've been, as I said earlier, going through a lot of the footage from the trip, and we're now currently in conversations with some producers to be able to put together a potential documentary on our trip as well. So that's quite exciting and I suppose it's the next chapter now that we've crossed the finish line. The journey really still does continuing here and being able to be there with my son and spend that time with him celebrating it. You know, he was there with us during the trip but obviously he was still with Bindi at that point in time because we hadn't been... He wasn't born then so being able to go back and, and spend that time with him and, you know, we've always already been joking with our partners about how old Cruz will be when he goes to contest the record himself so it was lovely to be back there with the family. Oh fantastic and uh, for your son or other young athletes what tip would you give them to stay on track to stay focused because I know you're a very determined focused young man. Look, My advice for anyone that's out there that's a young athlete is just never give up even when you are going through tough times and you think you're failing or you, for me for example take water skiing for example I went through a phase there after I got up on my water ski for the first time I struggled to get back up again after being on a certain ski for months and then transitioning to a modern ski and, and even trying to learn on a ski race a ski plank like I was just like what am I doing to myself like I was cutting my nails and my knuckles open from coming over and hitting the front of the ski and one thing you just you just can never give up no matter what you're going through no matter how tough it is whether it's injury whether it's failure the only best way to be able to learn is to fail and once you've failed then you figure out okay well that's not the way you do it this is the way that you can do it so harnessing failure in my opinion is one of the best things if you can learn from failure and also use that fear to not fail again, fear can be such an amazing power source to not have to go and endure failure because you want to succeed and you want to keep on going and persistence and getting up and making sure that you're true to your word and if you set yourself a goal, just stay focused, stay hungry and just 
Thank you, Val. That's wonderful information and obviously it's incredible that you went through the upbringing you had and like you said, you could have gone down a different pathway in the foster homes, etc, etc. So, is there one thing that you would give advice or change had you known what your journey was going to be like to date? Looking back at my upbringing, I'd probably say, and look, it does come with time, it's a little bit hard to have maturity when you are young. You know, in hindsight, when you do look back at it, if, if my mature adult self could go back and have a chat with my adolescent, immature, it would probably be have a little bit more self-belief and have more confidence in yourself because I think when you're trying to be someone that you're not growing up, that's when you end up doing the wrong things. That's where immaturity kicks in. And I think looking back on it now, yes, I had a lot of fun growing up as a kid, but I think if I was a little bit more sensible about my decisions and I had a little bit more self-confidence and self-belief in terms of what I was actually capable of, I probably could have taken a very different path and, and maybe started water skiing at an even younger age and being able to do what I did at an earlier age. So I think harnessing self-belief, having self-respect in yourself as well, and also trying to set goals at a younger age, even if they're really small. You know, I want to run five kilometers by the time I'm 16, or I then want to run a half marathon by the time I'm 18. Setting some of those goals at a younger age and, and having belief in yourself, I think can go a long way. Great. And how did you balance, because you keep mentioning Belinda was pregnant, and obviously you were working as well. How did you balance work and your career and your passion? Yeah, look, I think being driven definitely helps and, and being self-motivated. I was lucky enough to have a very supportive wife that allowed me to be able to go and train most mornings, come home, have dinner prepped. Uh, I was lucky enough when I first started the project, it wasn't very intensive from a time perspective, but my business partner at the time, him and I worked together and he was very flexible with what I was doing. And as I said, it wasn't very labor intensive at that mm. point in time for the project. But once we did start training, I ended up running my own business at that point in time anyway, so working for myself definitely helped. And once again, having business partners that were very supportive about my goal and making sure that I could continue on. And to be honest, it was almost a side project outside of my everyday nine to five job per se. And I think having a project outside of what you normally do, which is wake up, day job, it's, it's really important. And I think it really helped being able to get into the office after waking up really early, training, getting into the office, being focused. And if you can adapt and take that focus and that drive, no matter what you're doing, whether it's work, whether it's a hobby, whether it's a side project, whether it's just any form of exercise, I think they can merge together quite well. So it was good to be able to be flexible with your own business and also having people around you that were supporting my end goal as well, which definitely helped. Fantastic. So what is next for you? So what's next? At the moment, obviously we're still figuring out what to do with all the footage that we've got as well and, and, and looking for the right home for our potential documentary. We are also talking to our major partners being Axapar and Mercury as well as the Principality of Monaco about our next event. It won't be anywhere near to the magnitude of what we did last year in terms of distance or even that length of time. But there is a new product that's being launched uh, from Axapar and another one of the partners and we are looking to do something pretty exciting with them. All I can say it's going to involve high speeds, 
really fast car at an exotic location somewhere in Europe. Fantastic. And where can people find out more information and follow you? So at the moment we have our Facebook page, Chasing Kangaroo, as well as Instagram, which to be honest, I haven't been very active on. So my hands off uh, myself and not doing the right thing for social media lately. So please, by all means, we will kick off again in the new year once we start building up some more awareness around what we're doing as well. And we will be sharing our teaser as well when the timing's right, which will be for the trailer for the documentary as well. Fantastic. So thank you very much for giving up your precious time today. No and problem at all. Good luck with future endeavours. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.